Exodus chapter number 17. I want you to look with me in verse number 8. Exodus chapter number 17 and verse number 8. If you're there, say amen. amen. The Bible said, Then came Amalek and fought with Israel in Rephidim. Moses said unto Joshua, Choose us out, men, and go out, fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses had said him and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And it came to pass when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands were heavy. And they took a stone and put it under him. And he sat thereon. And Aaron and Hur stayed up his hands, the one on the other side and the other on the other side. His hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua discomfited Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. And the Lord said unto Moses, Write this for a memorial in a book, and rehearse it in the ears of Joshua, for I will utterly put out the uh, I will utterly put out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it Jehovah Nisi. For he said, Because the Lord hath sworn that the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. I'll not announce my title just yet, uh, but we are continuing on our series through the book of Exodus. Please pray with me and pray for me tonight. Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, we thank you for the opportunity, God, to be assembled in your house one more time. Lord, thank you for the good spirit, God, that we feel in this place. Thank you, Lord. You said where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And God, there's liberty here tonight. We want to thank you for that. I pray, dear God, that you'd open eyes, open hearts, open minds, and Lord, open our ears tonight that we can hear what the Spirit of God has to say unto this local church. Lord, please move in the midst of this service. Oh, God, please show up and God show off as they uh, say most commonly. Lord, help us tonight for we cannot help ourselves. Lord, I pray for that special touch and God, I pray for that special unction. Lord, I pray that I could preach in the great power and the demonstration of the Holy Ghost. Lord, if you don't get on me, Lord, everything I'll say and everything I'll do will be in vain. Lord, I'm a sinner. I've sinned today. Lord, I sinned yesterday and I need you to forgive me. Lord, I don't want nothing between me and thee tonight. Help me to preach the Word of God, Lord, in spite of who I am. I'm asking you to use me not for my glory but for thine speak to thy children Lord speak to thy church that you purchase with your own blood and we'll thank you for everything that you do in this place for these people at this appointed time in Jesus name and for his lovely sake and all the Lord's people said amen and amen you may be seated I want to point out a few things tonight briefly by way of introduction again tonight I want to say it is here in our text where we find ourselves once again we are reading about the children of Israel and their faithful leader or their 
faithful man of God and his name uh, uh, is Moses. Looking back over our journey uh, throughout the book of Exodus, we have seen uh, a repeated cycle of events concerning this great exit of the nation of Israel from Egypt in pursuit of Canaan's fair land. May I say this journey which has been ordained and led by God through his servant Moses has been one battle after another. But can I say not just has it been one battle after another. How many of y'all would relate that to our life? It's one battle after another. But don't forget with each battle God provided a blessing. Not only has it been one battle after another but it's been one blessing after another. I love the old song that says uh, uh, it's been a long journey but I have been blessed. Amen. Uh, There is some bad things and some battles along this line but glory be to God there's a blessing uh, that follows the battle. And so in chapter number 14 we started and we began to look at what to do when you're at a standstill. The Bible said that Moses and the children of Israel had left Egypt and they were immediately met and faced with a standstill when God let them out and told Moses to take them to the land between Migdal and the Red Sea and to set up camp. We know the story. Pharaoh and the Egyptian army, they come in pursuit of them and there was nowhere for them to go. The water to the north, the wilderness to the east and west, and Egypt being a type and a picture of the world to the south. Uh, They looked around in every direction and there was nothing but obstacles uh, preventing them from moving on. But how many are thankful tonight uh, that God, the God of chapter number 14 is still doing what He's always done. And He opened up the Red Sea and made a way of escape. A blessing that followed a burden. In chapter number 15, we find the man of God Moses again with the children of Israel and now they are faced with stagnancy. The Bible said after chapter 14 and chapter number 15, they begin to sing and to dance because that God had taken down the horse and his rider. But it was immediately thereafter, after a blessing, they were met by a burden and they were led to a place called Mara, which means bitterness. It was a place of stagnancy. But we know the end of the story. They had nothing there to drink. It was a burden. But God showed Moses a a tree. And when that tree uh, was hewn down and that tree fell in the bitter waters of Marah, the Bible said that those bitter waters uh, were made sweet. And God led them from Marah to a place called Elam, which was and is uh, the place of strong trees. Uh, There's another blessing immediately after in chapter number 16. The Bible said that Moses and the children of Israel departed from Elam, a place of strong trees, and they were led to the wilderness of sin. It was there that they hungered, Brother Shelby, but they were met once again with a burden. They had nothing to eat, but just like God
God did. He took their burden and provided a blessing through His goodness and His grace. He provided bread in the morning and flesh in the evening. And God led them on out of the wilderness of sin to a place called Rephidim. It is here in chapter number 17 that Moses and the children of Israel were once again faced with the having great thirst. The Bible said that when they got out, my friend, when they got out and they showed up to this place of Rephidim, which means rest, that they looked around and guess what? Yet again, the lights of the burdens began to shine. They were thirsty. They just had a meal, so they were thirsty again. And they had nothing to drink. And we preached on it Sunday. What they do? As always, they turned on the preacher. They picked up handful of rocks and we preached on what to do when you're in danger of being stoned. We preached on what to do when you're in the wilderness of sin and what to do when you become stagnant and what to do when you're at a standstill. But here we are in chapter 17 and Rephidim being the place of rest God has once again provided my friend in the, in the position Moses was being fearful of being stoned. God said here's what we'll do Moses. What do I need to do about these people that want to throw stones? People I love. People I've labored for. People I've been there for. People I've been kind to when they cuss me and they down me. God what do I do about these people? He said go on before them. In other words let them stay where they already were which was behind you and pursue me. What did God do in Rephidim. He led him to a rock of Horeb where God stood upon the rock and Moses took the rod of God and he struck that rock and God provided water not just for Moses but for those grappling, grumbling, complaining, murmuring children of Israel. My friend God once again took a burdensome situation and has made and created a blessing. But here we are now in the latter part of chapter number 17. I want you to pay attention. It is here now tonight in the latter part of chapter 17 after God has continually blessed uh, despite their burdens. Uh, once again, Moses and the children of Israel are faced with another burden, but this time it is a real battle. Uh, how many of y'all know uh, uh, there's a difference, my friend, uh, in a spiritual battle and a mental battle and an emotional battle then there is a physical battle this is all hands on deck this is swords are being slung and bows are being shot and blood is being shed at my friend Moses and the children of Israel for the most part they've escaped their journey through the wilderness it's in hindsight Canaan's right before them and right before they reach where their destination is a man by the name of Amalek rises to the scene. I want to say there are a few things tonight, if you're taking notes or just listening, that you must keep in mind. By way of reminder, number one, you must understand that Egypt is always a type and a picture of this world. You must understand that. You must understand that Israel's great escape from Egypt, from bondage, from 
captivity from Pharaoh, which is a type of Satan, is a great picture of salvation. What happened? We sing it around here in the hymn book. Once like a bird in prison I dwelt. And the course goes, but he set me free. He set me free. My friend, the, 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 the escape from bondage from Israel out of Egypt is a type and a picture of salvation but then you must also know and see that God sent them a preacher that's how we get saved how shall they hear without a preacher it may not have been during the preaching when you got saved but you can't get saved without the preaching God the Holy Ghost instilled a seed deep down on the inside of every man woman boy and girl that's ever came to the saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, it's only through and by the inerrant, infallible, incorruptible seed of the Word of God. And then lastly, I want you to know tonight that there's another type and another picture in our text. And that type and picture is found in Amalek. May I say tonight all throughout the Scriptures, Amalek is a mere reflection of the flesh. Can I say uh, you and I are at war each and every day uh, with this thing we call the flesh. You say, how is Amalek a type, a picture, a shadow of the flesh? Well, I want to give you some brief history on Amalek. First of all, I want you to know that you trace Amalek back. Uh, uh, he is the grandson of Esau. He's the grandson, excuse me, of Esau. And can I say, as you know, Esau is a type of the flesh and Amalek is a type of the flesh which has no place with God. Did you know that Amalek is always found outside of the family of God and there's never any effort made for him to be brought in to the family of God on his own. Can I say just like Amalek, you stay with me tonight, in introduction we'll get to the meat in a moment. Just like Amalek, our flesh, Brother Shelby, is at enmity with God. Can I say the Bible said that which is born of flesh is flesh. Can I say tonight on this side of eternity, the flesh never gets converted. Amalek was never brought in. Your flesh will never be converted on this side of eternity as long as there's breath in each of our bodies uh, there will be an Amalek to fight. There will be a war with the flesh to fight. Can I say there is no help uh, for the flesh found in the scriptures? Uh, the only help concerning the flesh is what you and I can do to war against the flesh. Now I hope y'all have been in a Bible believing church long enough that you're staying with me and you understand what I'm saying. There's no help in this book for your flesh. The only help you find concerning the flesh is what God has said in order to fight the flesh. How to win in the war between the spirit and the flesh. Uh, can I say Amalek? And the Amalekites were the descendants of Esau who was Jacob's brother. They came forth in this text uh, and on throughout the scriptures to hinder the progress of Israel and to fight against them in their 
of the will and the ways of God. Can I say tonight, that's exactly what your flesh does. Now y'all, you've got to stay with me for about five, ten more minutes. Uh, you've got to understand why Amalek is a type of the flesh. Uh, he's never converted a type of the flesh. Uh, he is at war with God, His people, His will, His ways, His works, His word, just like the flesh. Uh, uh, my friend, there's no help for, Am uh, for Amalek and there's no help for our flesh. Uh, other than how we are to war against it. What does Moses, Joshua, Aaron, Hur, and the children of Israel do in our text? They begin to war against Amalek and the Amalekites. Can I say Amalek's determination is to prevent them from doing anything God wants them to do. Is anybody going to help me tonight? How many of y'all know that's exactly what your flesh lives for? It lives to prevent you from doing anything and everything that pleases God. May I say the desires of your flesh will always attempt to prevent spiritual progress and pursue its Amalek's job. Amalek's goal was to stop the progress. Can I say that's what your flesh does? Your flesh rises up simply to stop progress in the spiritual world. Can I say the spirit and the flesh are at constant war each and every one of us uh, contrary to what many say and believe uh, the only one listen only one tonight in your life uh, has total domination and supremacy there's only one part of you that's winning either your flesh is winning tonight or your spirit is winning I'm sick and tired of this crowd uh, there's a liberal posted on my uh, posted on my post today I don't know who she is where she's from, she's probably going to listen to this. They seem to always follow up. Amen. Uh, but my friend, as soon as I begin to read her comment, I've seen the, the red lights went off. Uh, we're living in a day and time uh, where my friend, the church, it's not the world that's promoting this. It's the church promoting uh, that you can walk in both the spirit and the flesh. And God loves you. And we're all counted as one. But I've come to tell you tonight that's not so. Uh, my friend, there's something peculiar about God's people. There's something special about God's people. We're not like the world. I don't want to be on the same level terminology. I don't want to be in the same lump as the world. And I sure enough don't want to be on this side of heaven with the white robe. But down here, I'm constantly defeated, overwhelmed, discouraged, and bossed around by my flesh. My friend, only one can win in this thing we call life. I don't know about y'all, but my friend, this war between the children of Israel and Amalek, it starts off, my friend, it was the first war that they've been in, and it started off as a head-on collision. Do you see in our text, Amalek, he, he arises up. Can I say typically after people are saved or typically after people sell out my friend the first battle how many of y'all go back to the 
day you were saved, the first battle you fought, it wasn't it wasn't overcoming somebody hurting you in the church. The first battle you ever fought, it wasn't whether you should tithe or not. The first battle you ever fought, it wasn't over Bible doctrine or which book was right. Those were not the first battles. My friend, the first battle from the day you got saved to right now, the first battle that a new convert will face. Boys are back there in the back. Hey, listen to me, boys. That one's dead asleep. Can I say tonight? Hey, listen to me. The first battle you'll fight, and you two have already been fighting it, is your flesh. You might have got saved, but this old wicked flesh didn't get saved. And that's what both of you's been battling since the other Sunday night. Now, if it's too hot for you, I'm sorry. I'll hug you after church and get you an ice cream. Well, I'm going, well, I've got you here. I'm going to preach to you. The first battle you're going to fight is your low down, no good for nothing, sorry, rotten flesh that wants to stay home. Help me, somebody. These people here, not here tonight. The only reason they're not here is because their flesh won the war. The only reason they're not in their place is because their flesh won the war. Some of y'all missed last couple weeks, and the only reason you wasn't here is because your flesh won the war. Some of y'all ain't been getting out what y'all to get out of the service, and the only reason is because your flesh has won the war. We're giving a lot of honor and a lot of credit to the devil when he's oblivious to what's going on. I've come to tell you tonight the war is not necessarily between us and hell. It's us. We're fighting ourselves. We're our worst enemy. Our no good, low down, no good for nothing, rotten, carnal flesh is the problem. There's a war going on that's between the spirit and the flesh. Now, I want you to understand something about this flesh. Amalek starts off head on. But I want to read you a verse. I started looking up and studying Amalek. Listen to what the Bible said in 1 Samuel 15 too. You listening? The Bible said, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I remember that which Amalek did to Israel, how he laid in wait for them in the way. So he starts off rising up saying, Y'all ain't going no further. Can I say that's how our flesh starts? It just abruptly comes out of nowhere and says, no, you're not doing that. No, you're not throwing away your bad music. No, you're not going to quit watching pornography. No, you're not going to quit fornicating with your girlfriend or your boyfriend. No, that's how it starts. But then down the road, listen, it gets sneaky and sly. Amalek started off broad and bold, but he became a coward over time. And he laid in wait like a lion preys on a, on a flock of a, a flock of uh, uh, right Can I say that's what our flesh does? We get to know ourselves, uh, and our flesh knows how to respond to what we're trying to do for God. Starts off bold, and then it sneaks up as a little this out of the other. Y'all with me, ain't you? He met them head on, but then he starts laying in wait, hiding in the weeds. You know what prey predators do, don't you? Let me tell you something about predators. They never go after the strong of, the, of whatever they're hunting. Not especially not if there's a weak one in the bunch. You want to know why we've seen some go... They were the weak link. 
I'm going to show you how to win this war tonight. And listen, I said this may be of most importance because here's the deal, Sister Annette. If we don't get this down, the rest of it don't matter. And here I thought I was done. And God came. I'm telling you, if y'all can't tell, it's real big in my heart tonight. God came by and said, hey, I need to show you something, son. Oh, that was good, but we're not done just yet. Can I say tonight, I want to continue on uh, tonight, and I want to preach on this thought, what to do uh, when at war, when you're at war with self. Uh, what to do when you're at war with self. Uh, can I say tonight, uh, uh, just like Amalek, our flesh uh, is very manipulative and discreet. Uh, uh, our flesh, it preys uh, on our weakness. Listen, for some all it's music for some of y'all it's magazines for some of y'all it's money for some of you all it's different things and that's what you struggle with because your flesh is a predator of God of God's doing and God's will for your life and it'll find the weakness it'll find the cracks for some it's gambling for some it's idolatry for some it's covetousness for some it's envy. For some, it's pride. For some, it's lust. But the flesh knows your weakness. That's why you struggle with the same thing over and over. Why am I always fighting the same battle? Because that's the war of your flesh. And I remind you, we are our own worst enemy. This old flesh, just like Amalek, is lying in wait to absolutely obliterate the will of God for each and every one of our lives. Can I tell you tonight, within your flesh, you have the opportunity to destroy. Listen to me. In your flesh, sir, ma'am, boy or girl, in this flesh, you have an equal opportunity to destroy every good thing God has ever done for you. I need you to hear that tonight. I know I'm looking at some blessed and highly favored people, but if you walk too long in that flesh, it'll destroy everything God's done for you. Some of the greatest Christians I've ever known are sitting at the house tonight in poor health, poor their hair out, uh, addicted to drugs and alcohol. Some have committed suicide. Others are on the verge. Uh, Their marriages have been destroyed. Uh, Their minds have been destroyed. Their ministries have been destroyed. Uh, And it wasn't because the devil had a special alt between them and him. Uh, uh, But my friend, it was the war between the spirit and the flesh. Uh, And they lost the war between the spirit and the flesh. Uh, And if you lose the war with self... uh, it can strip you of every good and perfect thing God's ever done for you. I want you to understand something. It is not the will of God for us to feed our flesh. If you're writing notes, you need to write this down. It is not the will of God for you to feed your flesh. It's the will of God for you to fight your flesh. I need some help tonight. I, I know I'm where I'm supposed to be. I'm plugged in to 240 tonight. It's not God's will for you to feed the flesh. It's God's will to fight the flesh. I'm telling you tonight, we've got it. We're at war with ourselves. We're at war with ourselves. Your brother's not your enemy. You're your own enemy. Amen. Amen. Got people near and dear to my heart. You want to know why they're not? in the favor of God and in the house of God tonight they've lost the war to self 
That's exact. That's the truth of the matter. They've lost, Daddy. They they've lost the war with self. We can see it. The lights are going on. How many of y'all know somebody right now? You know exactly what they need, but they can't see it. You want to know why? Because they have they have petted and they have fed and they have they have coached and babysittered and they have they they've loved on their self for so long that my friend they literally believe the lie that there's no hope. But here's the hope tonight. The hope is found in the war of self. You've got to learn how to fight against the flesh. You'll never make it living for God if you don't know how to war against yourself. I'm going to give you four or five, four I think, things quickly. This ain't in depth. This ain't some big drawn out something other. This is simple, practical, but this is life, Christianity, life sustaining. To know what to do when you go to war with yourself. Number one, I want you to see when you're at war with yourself, number one, you need instructional preaching. Amen. When you are at war with yourself, you need instructional preaching. Look with me in verse number 8 of chapter number 17. Then came Amalek and fought with Israel in Rephidim. And Moses said unto Joshua, Choose us out men and go out, fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I'll stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses had said him and fought with Amalek. Glory to God. This is bigger than me and I thought it was friend. Uh, what do we do when we're at war with self? Uh, uh, what you need uh, is instructional preaching. Uh, may I say instructional preaching will help you win the war with self. Uh, uh, can I say the preacher ain't your enemy? He's the enemy of your enemy. Uh, can, are you listening tonight? Uh, I'm not your enemy. I'm the war of your flesh. I'm the enemy of your flesh though. Uh, my friend, you'll know why when I get red faced, slobbered, spin and preaching like I am tonight that it kind of bothers some of y'all a little more than others because you're still trying to give way to the flesh and everything I'm saying that my friends given your spirit if you're saying strength it's inside of you I'm telling you inside of every prodigal is a will to do right it's a will it's called the Holy Ghost it's called double nature that my friend it's the new man that says that's right amen Man, that's exactly right. How many of y'all can trace your life back to a day when instructional preaching gave you the victory to win the war over yourself? What's Moses doing? He's instructing them how to win the battle. Joshua, go get us some. By the way, side note, good note, side note, good note. I need a good, this is a good note. Go get some men. Hello. He didn't say go get some contemporary liberal boys. Right, right. Amen. He didn't say go down the road and get them ones that's walking with their with bows in their knees and flip-flops and sandals and bracelets. Amen. And wear necklaces and earrings and mullet haircut. I'm going to preach on mullet haircuts. You don't need no stinking mullet haircut. That's the flesh. That ain't a bit more pleasing to God and a man in the moon. That's the thing the world's doing. My friend, get your hair off your neck. Shave her up. Look like a man. Act like a man. Walk like a man. Talk like a man. 
Labor like a man. Love like a man. War like a man. If I'm in the trenches of Afghanistan, I don't want some tippy-toed liberal, cotton candy, unicorn-loving, skittle-popping, queer-loving liberal beside me. I want somebody to stand up and raise hell and fight and defend me and my brethren. We need the men of the church to be men and to rise up and take instructional preaching like a man does. Amen. Amen. We need men. You know what we need to train our teenagers to be? Men. Men. Look, it's amazing. I was talking with an old timer. Fellow, you went and worked on his air conditioner. Get tall man. He said he went all over town looking for a matic. How many of y'all know what a matic is? He said, I went to <coughs> said I went to track supply, I went to Ace Hardware, went to WD Bryant's, went to Lowe's, went everywhere. He said, I can't tell you the boys, the men, supposedly, that I looked at and said, where's y'all's Maddox? And they said, Are what? You Maddox. Sir, I've never heard of that. That's the generation we're living. Elijah's not old enough to sling a weed eater. Push him over just yet. He's not far. But as soon as he can, we'll put him out in the yard in a pair of ball shorts. Slinging a weed eater so his legs get busted all two pieces. Rocks and sticks and mud and hornets and waspers and black snakes. Are you with me? Spiders and creepy crawly things. I don't want when an ant crawls up his arm in the woods and he says, oh, get it, get it, get it. We ain't doing that business. Hey Amen. I want him to reach down and grab that thing and eat it. We need some men, bless God. Hey Amen. What do you say? I'm telling you that God had an order and His order to win this war. How are you going to win the battle with yourself? You have got to sit under instructional preaching. Joshua had to be told this is not a this is not a this is not a, a slap to the to the flock or to the church. I've said it from day one, but it's a fact. Sheep have to be led. Have to be. You, why is our church? Why is some, some churches they're everything but a church? It's because all the sheep want to say so. That's not God's order. He puts Moses at the forefront to lead the sheep. Uh, Moses wasn't a, well. Moses wasn't some dictator. He was following God. It was God's order. Moses, go here. Go there. Stop here. Stop there. Then when Amalek rises up, when your flesh rises up, and you need to know how to fight it, we don't need a private meeting in my office all you gotta do is show up Sunday morning Sunday night, Wednesday revival, jubilee mission conference, you'll get all the instructional preaching you could ever ask for we'd have to have a whole lot less sit downs if people just come to church instructional preaching Holy Ghost Bible you say it's offensive. Paul's was too. Right. Amen. Amen. Don't make me get on Paul's preaching, neighbor. Yeah. Right. Amen. I only, I only preach like this when God allows me to, but I don't apologize for it. Amen. Because we're missing it, brother. Right. Men are scared to stay in the pulpit and just say what God wants them to say. That's exactly right. They're scared. Scared to death. Scared the deacons going to come and question them. Come on. 
Can I tell you all in front of God and everybody, if he ever comes and has an issue with me preaching this Bible, he's no longer the deacon. Help me somebody. Yes, he's supposed to be spirit filled and he's supposed to be the servant of servants. He's supposed to, amen. And when he's, if he wants to disagree with anything in this book, he has no place being the deacon. Deacon amens me, don't you, deacon? He knows. He does have a major obligation to this church, but it's not to be the pastor. Right, right. Amen. You say, oh, you love that, don't you? You and Listen, let me tell you something. I lose more sleep over having to do stuff like this than I could ever even describe. Truth. Scares me to death. I see everybody's faces, and then the devil starts working on me. Well, you know so-and-so didn't like it. Right, right. They're probably not going to stick around much longer because they think you're this and they're that and that. And I fight everybody. I fight it tonight. But here's what I've came to tell you: there is a way to win the war with self. And one of them, the first step, is instructional preaching. Can I say a lot of folks hate instructional preaching? The reason they hate it is because they would rather live in the flesh as they would walk in the spirit. You wonder why you don't like preaching like this? Because you know that it's offensive to your lifestyle. You like living in the flesh. You like doing what the flesh says to do. You like giving the flesh what it wants. And that's why this bothers you. It's because you're not spiritually minded. It's not because it's wrong. It's because of the position you have lived your life in. In the carnal instead of the spiritual. God's given the pastor a few things to do. I'm going to hurry through them. Number one, he's to instruct you as Moses did. He's to intercede for you as Moses did. How many times did they come? What are we going to do? Start cussing Moses. What did he do? He went to prayer. Can I say by praying, God, what do I need to do? He was also praying, God, what do we need? Speaking on behalf of the people. Because everything that Moses did and asked God for was not for him. It was for them. Can I say this position, fellas? If any of them's ever pastor, it's way more about them than it is him. way more about them than it is him yes sir you want to know why I have to preach like this God told me and it's for them it's not for him it's not for him to sit up here and flex bless God you don't let no 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 no. I have to fight and fight and fight to do this but hey man glory to God I've learned to just do it because I've got more trouble by not doing it than I ever did do it What's the pastor's job? He's to instruct you, intercede for you. He's to influence you. What happened in this war, Brother Shelby? The Bible said that he would raise a hand. It's not, we, we often see that we think that Moses was up there with both hands, but that's not what the scripture said. He would raise one hand, and when that, um, that hand would get weary, he'd let it down. He would raise this one. Then it got to where he couldn't raise. So he had her on one side and Aaron on the other. And you know what the Bible said? Look with me right here. Uh, let's look together. <coughs> Excuse me. Look with me in verse number uh, verse number nine, uh, verse number ten. <coughs> so Joshua did as Moses said to him and fought with Amalek. And Aaron, uh, Moses, Aaron, and her went up on top of the hill. Look, and it came to pass when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed, and when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. In other words, I think it's safe to say he had a great impact and influence on how they were fighting this war. His hands were up, they won. When his hands were down, 
the flesh won. Hello. I'm going to get some. I'm, 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 I'm trying to hurry. Voice is good. God's giving me some good stuff. Secondly, I got to move on. What do we do when you're at war with self number two? You need interaction with God's people. Well, I got one right there. <clears throat> Not only do you need instructional preaching, you need interaction with God's people. Look in verse 11. Came to pass when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed when he let down his hand Amalek prevailed. Verse 12. But Moses' hands were heavy and they took a stone and put it under him and he sat thereon and Aaron and Hur stayed up his hands the one on the other side and the other uh, and the other on the other side and his hands were steady until the going down of the side. Number two, when at war with self you need interaction with God's people. Can I say it's here where we find another type and another picture at this time I want you to look at the rock at the rock that they put the Bible said under Moses look in verse 12 but Moses hands were heavy and they took a stone and put it under him and he sat there all now pay attention understand that the rock is always a type and a picture of the Lord Jesus but in this text the Holy Ghost has revealed to me it is also a type and a picture of the church I cannot say if the man of God did not have the church under him holding him up supporting him then the church would then begin to war with, lose the war with self can I say tonight if you're ever going to win the war with self and get victory over your flesh you've got to realize your need for the church we need one another tonight we need every song we need every sermon we need every fellowship we need every handshake. We need every hug. We need one another in order to win the war with self. I want to say thank God for Aaron and thank God for her. They were holding up one hand at a time. And boy, there's a great application. But they simply, even those two, did not have the strength to completely allow him to raise his hand. And when he raised his hand, the church would prevail. When he would drop his hand uh, Amalek or the flesh would prevail so what they do just like Jesus said upon this rock uh, I'll build my church uh, I see a great time in the picture of an encouraged man of God when the church was in its rightful place uh, underneath the man of God supporting him holding him up uh, that church uh, outside of God was the foundation that rock was the foundation that led to them winning the war with flesh. They were only as strong as their man of God was. Did you know for no other reason, one great, great, important reason to be at church is because it helps me do this. Is it really that important? Well, when I can't do this, the flesh is winning. Amalek's winning. You know what you need? You need your preacher to be able to do this. You know what your preacher needs in order to be able to do that? The support of the church. Amen. Can I tell you the most harmed, hurtful, miserable, lonely preacher on the planet tonight is the one that's standing in the pulpit preaching like I'm preaching and nobody in the building's for him. He's the most loneliest individual on the planet. He's tried every way in the world to get them behind the things of God. They won't do it. He's trying to fight 
But you know what's prevailing in that church? The flesh. Because the rock, the pillar, the hope of the church is not in its rightful place. Does everybody see this in your Bible? Again, I'm not against commentaries, but I didn't find that in the commentary. You with me, ain't you? The Lord showed me that. That's a type and a picture of the church had to be set under Him. Thirdly, what do you do when we're in at war with yourself? Number one, you need instructional preaching. Number two, you need <clears throat> interaction with God's people. We need one another. I need you. You need me for this thing to work and us win the war. Number three, you need inspired preparation. Look in verse 13. I'm hurrying along. Verse number 13. Look with me. The Bible said, And Joshua discomfited Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. You need inspired preparation. Here we find another type, another image, another picture, another shadow. This time the sword is a type and a picture of what? Come on, y'all. You're a congregation, not an audience. It's a type of what? The Word of God. So what do we need to win this war with ourselves? To overcome the flesh. You need instructional preaching. You need interaction with God's people. But then thirdly, you need inspired preparation. This God really showed me some things here. This is a type of the Word of God. Look at verse 13. The Bible said in verse number 13, And Joshua this. What does that word mean? It means routed, defeated, overthrown, or to waste and to wear away. Joshua wore away, excuse me, he wore away the flesh, Amalek, with the sword. Can I say up to this, this is the first battle. You need to pay attention now. This is the first and the very first battle Joshua has ever fought in. Think about this. Can I say he has never been at war before? Think about this. I'm talking about preparing, preparation, inspired preparation, or you could say it like this, maybe it's a more practical term for you, inspired practice. How many of y'all know the old saying, practice makes? He's never been in a war. But the Bible said, look with me now, you've got to hold on to every word in this King James Bible. The Bible said in verse 13, Joshua discomfited Amalek and his people with the edge. If you're a man, you know what I'm about to say. If you're not a man, I'm going to give you an instruction on how to be one. I got this little case pocket knife that Brother Kojak Graves Deacon gave me as a gift. It's blue, it's pretty, it's my church carrying knife. As pretty as that is, can I tell you something? There's one thing that's really valuable to me. It's not necessarily the tip of the blade. I like a good tip, but that's not necessarily the importance. It's not even the, it's not even the material of the blades. This is stainless steel. I personally like carbon better. I like a carbon case knife. If you all need an idea of what to get me. I like carbon bladed case knives. They turn black. 
It's what my papa, I remember he'd pull out his old pocket knife and I was a boy, them old carbon blades and they'd be black. And boy, it just looks manlier to me. But I'm going to tell you something, whether carbon or stainless, the most important factor to me is this right here. That's known as the edge. Can I tell you there's only one way to get a good edge? You know a case knife from the factory don't have the best edge. My papa would look at that and say, no, nope, that ain't never had an edge put on it. I said, right there's an edge. That ain't no edge. He said, ain't, ain't never had an edge put on it, boy. Let me show you. He sat down for hours. Get him old wet stone. I tried it one time and went to the ER. It's truth. I thought I'm going to be like Papa. He would sit in front of the television. So you know what I did? I said, bless God, if Papa can do it, I can do it. I got me a wet stone. Dad had on the first 48. I was about 15, 16 year old. Set me down, got my, got my pocket knife out. Throw me a chow in just like my Papa. About cutting my blaming finger off. Right there's a scar. But them old timers knew what it was to put an edge. So think about this. Verse 13 now. Stay with me. Joshua discomfited Amalek, which is a type in the picture of the flesh, and his people with the edge. You know what it tells me, Brother Chris? He's never been in war, but he has apparently been spending time sharpening his sword. He has spent some quality time with his sword despite the fact he's never had to use it. Can I say tonight prior to this war with Amalek or prior to the war with your flesh in our case, I want you to understand a few things Joshua had had to apparently been doing. He number one had to have been sharpening his sword. He also had to have been practicing swinging his sword. And he had to have been practicing and he had to have been studying uh, his sword. That big E come through the other day over here somewhere or another. Had a big old stinking samurai sword, some sort or another. And if you ain't never held one of them things, friend, let me tell you something. You can't just go pick one up off the cabinet off shelf somewhere and go to town with it. There's some things about a sword. You've got to know how to balance it. You've got to know how to aim it. I mean, it's not just point like a gun and that's where it shows up. That thing can get sideways. I mean, them things fly out of your hands. This is a utensil. This is an instrument. This is a weapon that you must practice with. You must know how to swing it. You must know when to draw it. You must know how to aim it. You must study and know how to sharpen it. There was some major preparation with the sword before this battle. Now listen to me. Joshua knew how to use it, even though he'd never been in war. Joshua knew how to balance it, even though he'd never been in war. Joshua knew how to aim it, even though he'd never been in war. He knew how to war with his weapon. How did Joshua know how to swing his sword? And why had he sharpened his sword if he'd never been in battle? Here's why. Because he knew there was a good chance the battle would come. Can I tell you, it's said here a thousand times a month. This book is your weapon. 
Can I tell you why some of y'all lose the war with the flesh all the time? You don't know how to war with self. You never practice with your sword. You're not armed. You're not ready. You've not studied your sword. Can I say, glory to God, I feel good. You've got to know how to balance this thing. There's some people, they don't know how to balance it, and it causes more harm than good. This thing's not a weapon to use for our benefit. It's a weapon that should only be drawn when having to war against the enemy, whether that be the whether that be self or Satan or whatever it may be. This is a precious weapon that must be in prepar. You must make preparations with your weapon. I say the war with self is not just coming; it's here. Let me, I started thinking about this. Why is it there's a lot of kids they're raised in church. They're saved in church. They sing in the youth choir at church. They're in the children's program at church. They're in the Christmas play at church. They do car washes with the church. They raise money by selling and baking cookies for the church. They go to youth camp with the church. They participate in Vacation Bible school with the church. But then they grow up and they turn 16. Then they turn 18. Then they turn 21. And they turn and burn. And forsake everything they've been taught. Can I tell you why? Because for the first time, there's been some small battles with self. It's totally different when you can determine where you drive. 16. Yep. Right. It's totally different when you hit that magic number 18 that the world has said that's the age you can just do whatever you want. Mom. Then all of a sudden another part of themselves they didn't know exists raises its head. Yep. Then 21. Mom. I'm no longer a teenager now. I'm 21. Yep. I'm left by alcohol. Mom. Handguns. Look at me, look at me. And they get this big image of self and the war gets greater than it ever has. Why do so many kids who know better, they were raised right, they know right, they know better, do the wrong thing? Because at 14, 15, 16, 17 and 18, and at 7, and at 8, and at 9, and at 10, they were never made to prepare for the war and how to use their weapon. Right, right, man. They got a sword. I got my sword. Got my weapon at seven years old. When I got saved, that's when the word really became real to me. And I saved regretfully. There were many years. I was made to read my Bible. I was made to memorize memory verses. But those critical teenage years in my life, you know what I did with my weapon? Why could I never? Paul said that those things that we shouldn't do, that's what we want to do, and things that we should do, we don't want to do. Why is that? Because we're at war. Man. Can I tell you, children, listen to me, big big eye. If you don't ever get in this, I don't care how young you are. If you're old enough to be saved, you're old enough to take time to read your Bible. Man. And I hope you do. If you don't, start tonight. Because let me tell you something. How old are you? 11? Devil's done after our kids. Right. But it's going to intensify so much in about two years. Yep. 
You ready, ain't you? I'm, I'll be done in a minute. You know what you're going to need, son? When the preacher's not at school, Sister Annette, Brother Ray, they're not at school with you. Brother Shelby ain't there to tell you when to do this or not to do this. The songs ain't being sung. Your hands ain't getting hot. You ready? You know what you're going to need? You're going to need to know how to use your weapon. When you're tempted to look at something, you got to recall what the Bible said over in the book of Psalms. I think it's 103 or 101 or 100 or something. Like that. It says, I was setting no wicked thing before my eyes. you got to know what to do when, when so-and-so wants to tell you all their dirty laundry and then they try to get you to gossip about this. you got to know that the Word of God says to study, to be quiet. You've got to listen. There's nothing that you'll fight against that this weapon cannot help you defeat right. and conquer it. I don't have time to read it, but Psalms 119. Let me read some of it to you. Psalms 119.1. Stay with me. It said, Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are they that keep His testimonies that seek Him with their whole heart. They also do no iniquity. They walk in His ways. Thou hast commanded us to keep Thy precepts diligently. Oh, that my ways were directed to keep Thy statutes. Then shall I not be ashamed when I have respect unto all Thy commandments. I will praise Thee with uprightness of heart. When I shall have learned Thy righteous judgments, I will Keep thy statutes. Oh, forsake me not utterly. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to thy word. With my whole heart have I sought thee. Oh, let me not wander from thy commandments. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Blessed art thou, O Lord. Teach me thy statutes. With my lips have I declared all the judgments of thy mouth. I have rejoiced in the way of thy testimonies as much as in all riches. I will meditate in thy precepts and have respect unto thy ways. I will delight myself in thy statutes. I will not forget thy word. Deal bountifully with thy servant that I may live and keep thy word. Open thou mine eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. I'm telling you tonight you have got to have some inspired preparation and time spent in this book if you're going to win the war with self. Lastly, and I'm done. Not only do you need instructional preaching, excuse me, not only do you need interaction with God's people, not only, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> excuse me, not only do you need inspired preparation, but lastly, if you're going to win the war with self, you need an intimate place. Look with me. Look with me. In chapter, in, in chapter 17, in verse number 13 again. Quickly, I'm hurrying along. Joshua discomfited Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Now look here. And the Lord said unto Moses, Write this for a memorial in a book and rehearse it in the ears of Joshua for I will utterly put out remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it Jehovah Nisi or Nisi. It's pronounced both ways. For he said, Because the Lord has sworn that the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. You need an intimate place. You need an altar. Can I tell you a few things about the altar? Number one, it's a sacred place. Number two, it's a sacrificial place. How many of y'all agree with that? It's a place of supplication. It's an intimate place. Number one, because it's a place of death. 
What was the altar used for all throughout the Old Testament? Where they would bring things and kill them. How does that apply to us? There's no better place to die to your old flesh than in an altar. We was talking, they were singing that song about how I was, how everything changed, everything changed. Guess where everything changed for me as an 18-year-old boy? It was on my face at an altar. My friend, as a, as a boy, overwhelmed and overrun and entangled with sin, but I died to who I was on that altar. You've heard it a thousand times. I said, Lord, I give you my eyes, my ears, my mouth, my fingers, my toes, my hands, everything, Lord. It's all yours, my daughter, my life. Everything's yours. The altar, the intimate place, it's a sacrificial place. It's a place of death. It's not only a place of death, it's a place of dialogue. You want to know how you're going to win the war with self? By talking to God. It's a place of death. It's a place of dialogue. Thirdly, it's a place of deliverance. I'm hurrying and rushing through this. But Jehovah Nisi means the Lord is my banner. Y'all with me, ain't you? The Lord is my banner. In other words, there was a flag set up in victory. God told Moses, instructional preaching, what to do. They done it. 